Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. You don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, of course. But if you are one, it's definitely the place for you, especially today, because film historian and author Lori Jacobson is with us again, and this time to discuss Dishing Hollywood, her scintillating book about the most notorious scandals that have rocked Tinseltown from the early part of the 20th century to the present. Tales of lives cut short, unsolved mysteries, dramatic suicides, and steamy affairs filled the pages of Laura's revealing romp through some of Hollywood's biggest scandals involving stars like Lana Turner, Robert Mitchum, John Wayne, Marilyn Monroe, Frank Sinatra, Natalie Wood, River Phoenix, and many, many more. You know, in addition to being a celebrated Hollywood author, Lori has written and produced documentaries, TV series, and specials. And I want to be sure to mention Lori's other books, including Timmy's, well, Hollywood Haunted, which I, um, I'm going to mention a little bit later here, and Timmy's in the Well, the John Provo story, which she co-authored with her husband, who just happens to be the former child actor who played Timmy in, in those beloved Lassie TV shows. And what a treat it was when Lori took us on an exciting ghostly tour of Hollywood a couple of weeks ago during her interview about Hollywood Haunted. That's when we found out she loves to talk about everything Hollywood and that she's a great storyteller. So it's my pleasure to bring her on now. Welcome back to Movie Attic Headquarters, Lori. Hey, thank you so much, Betty Jo. Glad to be here. Well, we're so happy to have you back and, and to talk about Dishing Hollywood. You, uh, I've mentioned to you before the show how much I enjoyed that book, I I think it's a must-read for movie addicts. <laughs> you just pack so much information into the book at such an entertaining uh, way. And then the clever manner in which you kind of insert uh, little recipes that are relevant to the uh, uh, talking about. And I have lots of questions for you, but um, right after I remind people who are listening live that our chat room is open. We definitely appreciate the people who sign up for the chat as well as our other listeners, of course. But back to Lori. It's time to dish about some of those intriguing Hollywood scandals. So first of all, what do you consider the most fascinating scandal or mystery that you described in your terrific book? Ooh, well, um, you know, I guess I guess the most fascinating to me is the very f- first um, murder scandal uh, in 
that rocked Hollywood, uh, the death of a director named William Desmond Taylor oh. in 19, 1921. And the reason it's one of my favorites is because it, it well, I want to say it has never really been solved, although I did read a great book earlier this year, and I will plug it. It's called Tinseltown. And it's by a gentleman named William Mann, and oh. I think he just may have solved it after all these years, uh, oh all these years God. of uh, of of cover-ups and bribes and uh, evidence hidden and burned, and <laughs> it, it you know it just was one of those amazing stories where um, a director was found shot dead in his. Uh, fashionable apartment on Alvarado in in Los Angeles, and they and and with his death, they discovered that he had a secret identity. He had oh. a former wife and child in New York. He was uh, you know he was connected to several actresses that whose reputations were immediately ruined. Um, it turns out he was homosexual, which was very well hidden. Um, he was the head of um, the Directors Guild, and, uh, all, all, you know, he was very important in Hollywood history, and it appeared that nobody ever really knew who this guy was until he died. So it was just secret mm. after secret that came out, and it's really a good, juicy one. Well, yes, it is, and the and uh, it's really quite fascinating to read uh, uh, your the description of, of that. And now I'm intrigued by this uh, Tinseltown book that goes in to the uh, to solving the case, which is uh, something something that uh, you wouldn't expect after so long a time. How many how many no. years is that? And it was not the the it was not the. Uh person i suspected all these years either so it was very fascinating read um after well all these years well it just that book i think that book may be a year or two old tinseltown so um and his murder was in 1921 so we're talking quite a number of years 90 something years Oh, that is really fascinating. I I can hardly wait to read uh, Tinseltown. And, and uh, dear listeners, um, you might check that book out, but to be, before you do that, be sure to check out uh, Dishing <laughs> Hollywood <laughs> by Laurie Jacobson. And I know how we are when we get started <laughs> talking, so, so maybe we better take the time right now to tell the listeners where they can get uh, a copy of Dishing Hollywood, Laurie. Oh, it's uh, it's available at, at all your your regular, you know, your Amazon.coms and your BarnesandNoble.coms, and um, if you would like a signed copy, uh, you can just write to me at um, Laurie Jacobson at Juno.com, and I will be I have copies here. Be happy to autograph them. They make great. Hostess gifts for the holidays coming up with the recipes in them, and they're a great Christmas gift too. Oh, absolutely! And uh, that's uh, capital L A U R I E Jacobson J A C O B S O N, right? S O N, yes. 
And um, uh, can they also, uh, as you say, they can also get get the book at uh, Amazon.com, but that wouldn't be that wouldn't be a, a uh, autographed book. That's right. That wouldn't be a signed copy. So, yes, I'd love to hear from listeners. So, uh, you know, even if you just have a question, please feel free to email me anytime at that address. Well, you are so so generous with your time, and uh, I, I just uh, am, of course, in love with your, with your book. So, and uh, as I mentioned to you before the show started, I'm uh, very eager to uh, have your have Mr. John Provost on the on the show, who can tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a child actor in uh, in Hollywood. And I'm that's the next book I'm ordering, Timmy. Um, Timmy's in the well. The John Provost. Timmy's in the well. Mm-hmm, the John Provost yes. story. So we'll hear more of that uh, in a later show. We'll hope to get it get it scheduled sometime after the holidays. Well, back to dishing Hollywood. I was surprised uh, in re- well, there were a lot of surprises in your book, but to even see uh, Gary Cooper's name uh, connected to a, a mystery or a scandal was uh, was shocking <laughs> to me because I always thought of him, you know, as this dignified uh, hero and those are the kind of movies that I saw him in when uh when I was a teenager and and became a fan. But you have a interesting section in your book where you talk a little bit about the Gary Cooper mystery. Uh please explain to our listeners uh, what what that's all about. Well, I I think Gary Gary's mysteries were were very funny. First of all, he um, you know, he had that uh long slow drawl. Uh he he had a very slow manner of speech and he said very little. Well, women found that very mysterious. <laughs> mm-hmm. He actually just didn't have a whole lot to say, but it gave him an air of mystery. Um he was you know, he was raised half in England, which gave him that wonderful air of sophistication, and half oh. on a ranch in Montana, which gave him oh. his cowboy aspect. Um, he had these stunning blue eyes, and um, may I also say in a very, um, <laughs> in, a, in a cryptic way, that he uh, was very well endowed he um, was tall in the saddle, as they say. And okay. um, so when he arrived in Hollywood, he was a huge smash. Um, men and women adored him. He got along well with everyone. There, uh, there was a, um, a countess, uh, a famous countess in, in Los Angeles who um, took quite a liking to him and uh, – bestowed many gifts on him and and a lot of uh again a lot of sophistication um places he'd never been and um there are rumors that uh very very wealthy uh sophisticated gentlemen also taught him things mm. um whether you know at, at any rate he was a very popular guy and his tastes um went to kind of wild 
crazy women. He had a wonderful <laughs> long affair with Lupe Velez, an actress yes. known as the Mexican Spitfire, and she that. was she was feisty. She had quite a temper. I think that when he he was a little bit of a mama's boy, believe it or not, and uh, oh, mama no. didn't like Lupe at all. Uh, that was she she was not the girl that mama had in mind for Gary. And he, she made Gary break up with her, and and Lupe followed him to the train station as he was making his escape back to Montana to Mama, and she was shooting a gun, running through <laughs> Union Station in Los Angeles, you know, Gary, Gary, and, you know, firing weapons. Um, another uh, wild and passionate lover of his was Clara Bow. Uh, who is responsible for bringing him uh, into pictures. Um, they, uh, she brought him into a very important film, uh, the first one ever to win an Oscar, which was called Wings. He had a really – he was doing uh, low-budget westerns, and she found him, and she flipped for him, and they were a pair for a while – and uh, she brought him into this big Paramount picture called Wings, uh, in which he, oh, he played a pilot uh, who didn't make it back. And it was quite a memorable role for him. And it changed the course of his career. But she was not yes, what he Mama looked had great. in mind he, either. He looked, he looked great in that film. I, they show oh, it sometimes he, you know, on Turner well, Classic Movies. Yes, and black and white, and you can still see those crystal blue eyes mm-hmm. shining through. He had a great impact in that film. So Clara really did wonderful things for his career, but that mama didn't have Clara in mind for Gary either. <laughs> so she was a bit wild. So uh, that was the end of that. And um, I hear his wife had her hands full. He did remain uh, married to one lady for the rest of his life uh but i hear she had her hands full with him <laughs> and that's the why why the, i thought you know a mystery or a scandal with gary cooper was kind of uh too far-fetched but uh i i believe it now after reading dishing hollywood and ladies and gentlemen you are listening to the fabulous laurie jacobson author of Dishing Hollywood, and she's dishing, she sure is dishing that Hollywood to us today. I, I want to talk now about Lana Turner, because I think that's one of the biggest Hollywood scandals of them, of them all. And um, I really was very interested with the way you talked about uh, how she became involved in a hoodlum homicide. So uh, give us the dish on that, Laurie. Well, very, very often when you have um, a celebrity of that stature involved in a scandal, um, the scandal is well orchestrated. Um, at that time, the the contract system was still uh, uh, going on. She was signed to MGM. So <laughs> when, when Lana Turner had a... Um, a dead hoodlum in her bedroom. Uh, Believe me, MGM, you you don't call the police. The police are the last people called. She called her her publicist at the studio and said, what do I do? And they sent out the cry, 
Get Me Geisler. There was a guy named Jerry Geisler who was um, the attorney in L.A. for a celebrity or a studio to turn to when a celebrity was in trouble. And he arrived at the house long before the police. I think he may have called the police. Now, here's what happened. She'd been Lana... Lana was what you call a bad shopper when it came to men. I think she was married seven times, and and one was worse mm-hmm. than the next. And if they were nice, that she divorced them for being nice. Um, <laughs> she she had quite a uh, a long list of lovers, and she needed to be entertained. And there were. Um, uh, there were illegal gambling facilities all along Sunset Strip where uh, gangsters and movie stars rubbed elbows, and they both of them found it exciting. Both groups found it exciting to mix. You know, Bugsy Siegel was was very close friends with Gene Harlow. Who would have guessed? Um, mm. So Lana meets this guy. Johnny Stampanato, who was a low-level hood from Chicago, who came to L.A. to work with gangster Mickey Cohn. He was very handsome, uh, and uh, he made his living, really, living off of um, lonely, wealthy women. And that was Mm -hmm. Lana. So he hooked himself up with Lana, and... um, after several months, uh, she decided the relationship wasn't for her. He was rough. He roughed her up. He began oh. threatening her as the relationship was going south, and she was finding it very difficult to extricate herself from him. One night, her daughter, her 15-year-old daughter, Cheryl Crane, was uh, sleeping in the house. She was home from boarding school. She heard Lana and Johnny arguing. She was trying to break up with him. The Academy Awards were coming up, and he wanted to go. He had planned Mm. on going. This didn't work into his plans for her to break up with him. and. Cheryl heard him say that he would cut her face, cut Lana's face, ruin her oh. career. Um, and there was shouting. So this, so the story goes, this 15-year-old child who was fearful for her mother's safety ran to the kitchen, got a knife that was brand new and still had the price tag on it, oddly enough. She ran upstairs. She opened the bedroom door, and as Geisler uh, and Lana tell the story, Cheryl was holding the knife out in front of her, and Stampanato turned and virtually impaled himself on the knife. And mm. and was killed. Now, wow. you know that that's the story that they tell. Now, uh, you don't die right away when something like that happens. So, first of all, there are rumors that Geisler and Lana waited until he bled out before oh, they Lord. called the police. So that's one rumor. And, of course, the other big rumor is that it wasn't Cheryl holding the knife. Mm-hmm. But Cheryl was a minor. 
So uh, she was not going to do any kind of hard time for something like this. So, you know, the the, the courtroom, the hearing was uh, televised, one of the first. It was, it was like the OJ trial of, of that day where everybody was listening. And Lana, um, the papers noted that it was probably Lana's greatest performance to date as she described, you know, kneeling over the body and kissing his lips as the, you know, life drained out of them. Oh, my goodness, it was so dramatic. Um, And basically what happened was that uh, in the court of of, uh, the general public, Lana was convicted as a terrible mother, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but they still went to see her movies. Oh, um, yes. And Cheryl did six months in a juvenile, uh, you know, home for juvenile delinquents. And um, then she came back and lived with Grandma because Mommy's house was too tumultuous. Mm. And, uh, you know, and and it is a testament to Lana Turner's popularity that it didn't ruin her career. That's true, because I I was one of the people that kept going to her movies and watching her on TV. Oh, she was cheered. quite a quite a beauty, and and she and she could definitely act. And uh, Lori, I wonder um, we've had someone uh, who's called in, and they've been waiting patiently. Let's just oh, take sure. a, a minute here and see uh, who's calling in. Hello, you've reached Movie Addict Headquarters. We're talking with uh, Lori Jacobson about Dishing Hollywood. Who's calling? Well, I'm just listening, actually. I'm outside exercising. (laughs) So it's this interesting story that was just told. I don't have any questions. Um, Well, what was that guy in the early 20s, the real roly-poly man? Oh, comedian. Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle, I believe. Yes. Um, does she have any information about him? Sure. <laughs> okay. Sure. I'll, I'm happy to tell that story. Um, Fatty Arbuckle was one of the most popular comics of the silent screen. He was second only to Charlie Chaplin, who was absolutely the king. Uh, and he had been given a, a uh, an incredible contract uh, by his studio, a million-dollar contract, and he w- drove to San Francisco for the weekend to celebrate this incredible uh, this incredible uh, paycheck. And he rented a room in the uh, gorgeous St. Francis Hotel. And had a bit of a party with, uh, you know, illegal booze during Prohibition and dancing. And, I mean, it was a small party. Maybe ten people were there. Um, And it was crashed by a woman who uh, procured young actresses for such parties, young young, actresses. aggressive, um, hungry actresses, and she brought one of those actresses with her. Um, And uh, 
that actress did not survive the party. Oh. She uh, she had some kind of an attack during the party, and she was so ill that uh, Fatty rented another room for her in the hotel, carried her there in his arms, and brought the hotel doctor to her. What we didn't know was that this actress, Virginia Rappé, um, had a terrible uh, bladder condition. She was to never drink. She drank heavily at the party, and she didn't survive. But the woman who brought her to the party saw money to be made from this incident. And three days after Arbuckle returned to Los Angeles, he was shocked to find the police at his door arresting him for the murder of Virginia Rappé. And suddenly he was accused of raping her in the hotel room, which is what crushed her bladder and caused her death. And this was a terrible lie. Uh, I don't know how anyone made money from this lie, but um, the district attorney in San Francisco thought, well, I'd like to run for mayor, and I can probably do it, asking for the death penalty for one of the most famous actors in Hollywood. I can really draw attention to myself. So that's what he did. And William Randolph Hearst said, boy, I can sell a a whole lot of newspapers. And he put out up to eight extra editions a day a day with oh, photos no. manufactured of of Arbuckle behind bars and um you know holding liquor bottles and and all of these were what we would call now photoshopped all of these were made up um at you know long story short the first he had three trials um the first two were uh, were hung juries and the third jury acquitted him in about a minute's time with an enormous apology for what he had been through. Um, The first jury was 11 not guilty, one guilty, and she was obviously paid to vote that way. So it destroyed him. Uh, They not only stopped playing his movies, they burned them. So we have very few of uh, pieces of his work left. And, uh, you know, and needless to say, he died an early death. The whole thing just uh, oh. destroyed him. And it was all made up. Oh, all that, made is, up that and, is tragic. Fueled by the greed uh, uh, of other people. What a, what a what a story that is, and uh, I'm sorry, caller. That was a great question, but I didn't get your name. Oh, I call myself Miss Lady, and I'm on the West Coast. But you know what? Her telling that story is really sad. It seems like greed and maybe envy is behind a lot of the takedown of celebrity. Um, yes. You know, I think so. understand why they're so protective of themselves, and um, they put a wall between them and the public because it seems like there's a lot of layers 
Yes, it does. Yes. Oh, I'm having a, a little bit of feedback. I think there's kind of a bad connection here, but it was so n- nice of you to call in. We really appreciate it, and uh, we hope you'll uh, stick around and uh, listen to the rest of the show. Will you do that? I will. Thank, thank you, you very, very, thank you very, very much for for calling in. And I, I was uh, wondering, Lori, we had um, you had mentioned that Lana Turner's career wasn't impacted. Uh, by the the uh, scandal that she was involved in, uh, what about Robert Mitchum? Uh, I know that he was a he was kind of a bad boy, a Hollywood bad boy, or he had that reputation. And in your book, you talk about him uh, being arrested. Uh, what what did that have to do uh, regarding his career? Did that impact him? Well, you know. There's always a backstory. There's almost always a backstory. So you know, Rob, the the studios couldn't get Robert Mitchum to um, to do what he what they wanted. He turned down scripts. He walked off sets. And yes, he had this real rebel reputation. And he yeah, he was called Hollywood, one of Hollywood's bad boys. So they thought, hmm, maybe we can tame this Hollywood bad boy. And one night he was going over to a, a starlet's house. He was with a guy friend, and she had a girl friend over there. And they were no really no sooner in Lila Leeds' little bungalow in Laurel Canyon. Maybe they were there for five minutes, and the friend, the guy friend pulls out a marijuana cigarette and somebody lights it up. I mean, they're barely seated. And boom, the police are there breaking down the door and arresting all four of them. Oh. So, uh, you know, now, the Lila Leeds' girlfriend and the guy who brought out the joint, you never hear about them ever again. So they were part of the setup. Um, but poor Lila Leeds and Robert Mitchum went to jail. Yikes. And um, uh, he was signed with uh, Howard Hughes at the time at RKO. And Hughes, you know, tried to show how Mitchum being in jail would thrust hundreds of people out of work. They had a picture that was ready to go and blah, blah, blah. But the judge wasn't buying it. And uh, they they both spent months in jail. Um, Mitchum came out. He was bigger than ever. He, <laughs> you know, for him, he kind of... He kind of—it was just a little dust on his shoulder that he just kind of brushed off, and it—it it went with his bad boy image. He did all those wonderful noir films after that, mm. and it, it was all part of it. Um, but poor Lila Leeds, talk about the double standard—it ruined her. Oh. You know, she was up and coming and a stunning actress, and um, she couldn't get anything after that. Oh, that was uh, she a did some, double standard. Yes, she did some wow. B film called um, Cocaine Fiends, I think, and uh, and and her life just went down the tubes with one, you know, alcoholism and drunk driving accidents and uh, drug addiction, and it, it, she just uh, so and nobody cared. 
you know, and yes. Bob Mitchum went right on. Well, he certainly did, and what a presence he had on screen. I remember him um, in Night of the Hunter, and I, I that's one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite Robert Mitchum performances. Every time it comes on, uh, Turner Classic Movies, I I just am, am glued to, <laughs> to the set watching it because he was he just was spellbinding in that. And and another A-list actor that um, that I was happy that you included in your book, but not necessarily happy about what what happened <laughs> with, uh, with John Wayne and uh, oh. the, and the fact that you re- that you referred to his death as ironic? I thought that was a very uh, intriguing statement. Why why did why do you call John Wayne's death ironic? Uh, well, the Duke uh, passed away from stomach cancer. Yeah. And as we, as you remember, uh, he was a a very um, uh, a very intense supporter of of uh, America, uh, oh, a real sure, fla- a real flag waving patriot, <clears throat> and it was America's testing of uh, nuclear weapons that actually killed him. He was making. Oh my God. Perhaps one of the worst movies of his career uh-huh. uh, in the desert of St. George, Utah. Um, and we were testing nuclear weapons in the desert. And uh, a large cloud of, you know, atomic dust settled over St. George, Utah, and settled over the production of this film. And not only was uh, not only was that bad enough, I mean, you know, like it's settling on the grass and the cows are eating the grass and then, you know, people are drinking the milk of the cows. I mean, not only was it that bad, but they also took dirt contaminated dirt from St. from St. George back to Hollywood so that it would match the color when they did scenes on the set so it would be the same red color as it was in St. George um so they brought all of this contaminated stuff back with them well the oh. long and the short of it is almost every uh, celebrity on that film died of cancer the director yeah. Dick Powell uh, Susan Hayward had got a brain tumor. Um, uh, Pedro Armendariz uh, was was uh, actually he committed suicide when he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. The Duke, um, uh, it, it, the list went, went on and on, and more than ninety people on the cast and cr- um, in the crew also died of cancer. And then the numbers were quite huge in in that area uh, of just regular civilians. It's it's calmed down now, and I'm not putting the jinx on St. George. Uh, it seems to have um, dissipated with time, but I found it quite ironic that um, such a great supporter of our country and our government was literally killed by them. 
Right, and I understand that after reading uh, about uh, the making of uh, The Conqueror. Where, uh, yes, The John Conqueror, played, thank it, you. Uh, Genghis Khan, I think. Yes, I think that's that what he was played. It. He played Genghis oh, Khan. Miss but he still talked in... like John Wayne. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was a terrible, terrible movie. I mean, <laughs> Susan Hayward was one of my favorite, very favorite actresses. In fact, my husband and I named our daughter after Susan after Susan Hayward. We just loved her in the movies, and I loved the, her what too. What a bad luck! What a bad, bad luck! movie that that uh, was um and and just so so tragic and another uh, tragedy that uh, the, this this story this scandal keeps you know being uh, uh, brought back and uh, discussed and and uh, printed in uh, gossip magazines and Natalie Woods drowning that was oh, yes. that was that was so terrible and and I think you you think that you have the truth about Natalie Woods drowning. So I know our listeners are, are really eager to hear what, what you think was the truth about that. Um, what, a, what a tragedy. And, you know, we had all grown up with her, and she seemed so much older to me, but, but it was just because I knew her, knew her from the time she was seven to to only 42 you know, I just knew her in films and magazines and on television um, and such a popular actress that the, it was just unthinkable that she could drown on Thanksgiving weekend um, on the same boat on which she had been married to Robert Wagner. They were married twice, uh, once as, you know, young young Hollywood stars and they couldn't survive the uh, fishbowl existence and they each married other people and divorced and got back together so it was really a a Hollywood love story it was the the love story everyone wanted to see Uh, and then we hear of this terrible night on board their ship um they had uh, as a guest Christopher Walken, who was making a film with Natalie, and the captain of the ship, and R.J., of course, Wagner. So uh, it was terrible weather, uh, rainy and stormy. There were very few other ships out there when and normally on a, on a holiday weekend like that it would have been loaded with ships. Um there were arguments. There was excessive drinking. They had been seen on shore on Catalina Island, uh, uh, inebriated and not in the best of moods. And we'll really never know exactly what went down on that ship. Uh, Christopher Walken has never spoken of the night ever since then, not to anyone. Um, and R.J., according to R.J., uh, he stayed up. Christopher Walken was uh, seasick and in his cabin. Uh, Natalie went to bed, and the ship's captain and R.J. continued drinking. When they went to bed, 
Natalie was not in her bed, the dinghy was missing, and they began the search for her. And that's and obviously the search ended in tragedy the next morning. That is what you'll read in the paper. Um, and that's the story that RJ sticks to. Can you can uh, you believe it that we're that we're uh, I'm afraid we're not going to hear the ending. <laughs> we're almost running out of time, and we want to know who did it. Did it? Did somebody do it, or was it just an uh, accident? Uh, I think it was a terrible accident. However, uh, there was one ship uh, moored near their ship, and they heard her calling for help for over an hour in the water, and they did not respond to that themselves because they heard her calls for help being answered by someone on her ship. Keep your pants on, we're coming, don't worry about it. And apparently when they finally went to get her, it was too late. So uh, Natalie's sister Lana thinks that charges should be brought somewhere but uh they did change she did get the official cause of death changed just last year on uh, natalie's death certificate from accident to questionable death oh so there was some uh progress on that well <clears throat> dear listeners you must get dishing hollywood so you can read more of the uh, oh the very very fascinating intriguing scandals and and mysteries that uh, that Lori dishes about in her in her terrific book. I'm so sorry that it's time to wrap things up now, but I want to thank you for being a terrific guest again today, Lori. And um, I also want to uh, mention uh, some of the uh, some other radio shows that I always like to tell recommend people to listen to. Be sure, dear listeners, to check out Nancy Lombardo's very funny comedy concept show right here on Blog Talk Radio each Monday and Friday morning at 10:30 Eastern Time. And another entertaining show you should check out is the Mom and Pop Shop Radio Show, hosted by Mr. Showbiz himself, George Bettinger. It airs over on DreamStream Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And don't forget all the diverse shows on the Wacko Network here on Blog Talk Radio. There's something for everyone in the Wacko wheelhouse. Thanks again, Lori, for being such a terrific guest. And to Nikki Starr, our producer, for everything she does to make our show happen. And we want to give a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their support, as well as to our chatters and other listeners. Uh, Myrtle E. Collier has been in the chat room. A number of people have been in the chat room. We really appreciate them. We appreciate our caller today who asked a very interesting question um, uh, of uh, Lori. And uh, you can tell that Lori is well-versed in the history of uh, Hollywood. I hope everyone enjoyed today's show. I sure did. Please come back next time for a spirited discussion of Hugh Jackman's movie career, Be Still My Heart. That's all for now, folks. Let's go out with a special song dedicated to the fabulous Lori Jacobson. And what else could it be except... Hooray for Hollywood. 
and I'm just going to see if I can find that on our switchboard. Yes, here we go. Hooray for Hollywood! (laughs) 